Gratitude That's my everyday All right, all you beautiful people, welcome to another episode of Quantum Coffee. And it's got a really amazing conversation in store for you today. It is with a good buddy, Ted Moskovitz. And I actually just had lunch with him last week, and we decided to jump into the podcast because our conversation really went deep. And um, yeah, he's just such a super intelligent dude and uh, very kind-hearted. Um, actually met him because he is the CEO of Ama Healing, which is a hemp company. Uh, they provide CBD products and really excited about this one product that they have. It's called Elevate and they're actually marketing it as a alcohol replacement. And we talk a little bit about this in the show. Um, I loved it so much that I actually invested in the company. That's how we got to know each other. And um, as I've gotten to know Ted, um, just how intelligent he is and how kind-hearted he is and um, you know, I wanted to get to know a little bit more about his journey. And so this conversation, we dive right in. Uh, Ted shares about his journey, which really resonated with me as far as reaching the pinnacle of what his dream um, job was, which was working for the SEC as an attorney. Um, obviously, really intelligent to pull that off. But then eight months in, um, you know, after a couple different traumatic events that happened, he started questioning what he was doing there. And it was a big wake-up call for him that he wanted to go kind of he didn't know what was next, but he knew that that life wasn't for him. And it's very resonated with me and my journey with football, something I worked so hard to achieve and then having to navigate the transition of letting it go and going into the unknown. And he went into entrepreneurship. Um, he started a few different, very successful ventures. Um, he is now the CEO of Alma Healing, uh, which is really exciting. We also talk about in this podcast, the state of the world and some of the things we can do individually to help shift the collective and I got his perspective on a wide variety of topics. Uh, he was blowing my mind. We talked about cryptocurrency, uh, the power of, of hemp and growing hemp for more purposes than just you know the things we know about, like the medicinal uses, but also creating plastic and concrete, all these things I didn't even know about, which is really incredible. And I just know that you're going to get a lot out of this podcast. Um, and I'm really stoked uh, for you to, to listen. Uh, if you like it, please review it, rate it. It goes a long way in helping me grow the audience um, and get me rated. Where you listen to podcasts, um, I'd love to hear from you. Um, I think we talk about this in the end of the episode, but um, we'd love to have Ted on. And as you listen, just think about questions that you might have for him, and we can get him back on because he just dives into such a wide variety of topics. And uh, he does offer a code. So if you go to amahealing.co, I believe, I think he says the website it should be in the show notes. But if you put in the code Joe20, you'll get 20% off. That's special for my audience and anybody that's listening. Um, they have a lot of products, not just to elevate, but solves. Um, they have this Gurkhamen product that I really enjoy, which helps with inflammation and pain. They have tinctures, they have sleep aids, and they're coming out with these new products, um, which is really exciting. So go check that out. Also really excited about the launch of Sarah and I's new podcast, Love and Life. It is live. Go check it out. It is a really cool reality show type audio experience. We chronicle uh, our relationship when we first met in quarantine how that happened uh, to now literally as I'm sitting here, I think when this re is released, I will be a father because we're about two weeks away from the due date and Sarah's about to pop and uh, really excited about bringing that podcast with you. And I would love to hear your feedback. Go look into love and life, your love and life podcast.com and uh, subscribe and listen to it and reach out to us and let us know what you think. 
Also, Sarah's company is going live, which is really exciting. I wanted to give her a little shout out. It's called growmotely.com. Growmotely.com. Go check it out. If you are looking for full-time remote work, it is a job platform. Um, and if you are a small to medium-sized business looking to employ and find people that can help your team um, scale your business, um, you know, I know for me and my entrepreneurial journey, once I built a team, it really changed everything. But finding the right kind of talent um, at the right kind of price is really important. So if you're either a remote professional looking for work or a company looking to hire, go check that out. That's growmotely.com. And also go check out if you're a former pro athlete looking for community, go check out my community of building called The Heart Collective. Go to theheartcollective.com. That's H-A-R-T, theheartcollective.com. We're also working on providing a ton of content. We have master classes that are constantly coming out and master courses that will be available to the public. If you're interested in anything like that, go to theheartcollective.com, put in your email address, and you will be kept up to speed with all the amazing content. We got a bunch of people in a wide variety of topics coming on to share their wisdom. And we are selling tickets to those and also developing a bunch of courses. Um, I'm working on one that is a course on meditation. So if you have ever thought about you know, introducing your own meditation practice. And you know, it's one of the most powerful tools that I've incorporated into my life. And we talk about even on this podcast, the importance of self-awareness and, you know, meditation is, it's a really challenging practice to implement. And so I'm breaking it down into some very easy steps to help create the habit and routine because consistency really is key. So if you want to learn more about that, go to theheartcollective.com, put your email in and add you to our newsletter and you will be the first to know when all that content goes live. And without further ado... Here's my buddy, Ted. Ted, what's up, brother? How you doing? So great, man. It's awesome to be here. With you yeah, I really appreciate you coming on over and uh, appreciate the little cocktail you brought me. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. So we're drinking our uh, our Elevate Elixir from Ama Healing. So it's designed as an alcohol alternative essentially to give people you know a loose sociable present kind of feeling but without all the downsides of alcohol you know i find that when i drink rather than being more present and more connected to the people that i'm with i find i just get foggier and more disconnected and you know especially in the world that we're living in now where there's so much disconnection already having ways to get more present with people i find really powerful and so what we're drinking right now is a little beta test experiment of our next formulation um, which is like a daytime flow creativity formula. Um, instead of people, you know, drinking coffee or taking stimulants, you know, we're really just trying to answer this question of like, how do we get perfectly present with those that we're with and how do we drop into these creative flow states? And there's a lot obviously that goes into flow, mm. but if we can set the sort of physiological foundations of it, you're like halfway there and we're just making it easier for people to drop in. Yeah. I'm really stoked about, you know, chatting about all of that. Um, Maybe introduce yourself a little bit and then we can dive into the company that you started, the reason for it, and a little bit about the journey you've been on to really help bring these different type of uh, drinks to the public so we can get away from alcohol and evolve yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I'd love to. So I'm Teddy Moskovitz and I've, uh, I've lived a lot of different lives. I started out working in politics and then I was an attorney and then I started a software company. And, you know, really though, for the last four years, what I've been focusing on is how do we leverage technology to improve the future of humanity? What's the tech that we can be working on and who are the people that are working on it that we think are really going to impact the world in a positive way? And, you know, for a long time for me, that looked like, I think what a lot of people think of is the future of tech, all the like 
AR, VR kind of stuff and crypto and blockchain and, you know, some of the biohacking kind of stuff and the future of medicine. But really what I've come to learn in the last couple of years is that the most important tech that you can be working on right now is the human OS. It's our Mm -hmm. own operating system. It's the programs that we're running day to day. And so people think it's so odd that, you know, I'm like this SEC attorney software guy who's like now running a hemp company. And they ask why. And I just so honestly say that hemp is some of the best tech that we have right now for shifting our mental state. I mean, everything but the mind is just a tool, right? If we can fix the people and we can fix our values and what we choose to focus on, that's how we're really going to make this global shift. Um, And so that's what I've been focusing on for the last couple of years is how do we upgrade the human OS and, and make the make the software better? And, you know, you have to improve the hardware too, right? And it's good to be healthy and it's good to have like a fit body and fit mind and things like that. But the programming I find is one that often gets overlooked and that's just so critical to the, the whole puzzle. Yeah. yeah, you can't access these higher states of awareness without feeling good in your physical body. And that's really where it all begins. But yeah, yeah I mean, this whole idea of where we're going collectively and shifting the collective narrative and there's so much work that needs to be done and so many people are focused externally on the problems and how to mm-hmm. fix the problems but really in order to heal the world, we first have to heal ourselves and understand who we are, improve our self-awareness and change the the inner narrative and story of who we are and how we show up in the world. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about your, your, your entrepreneurial journey and you know, how, I mean, have you always been this self-aware? Where did the kind of awakening <laughs> happen, happen into showing up to be of service and, and creating like a purpose driven business like you were talking about? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a couple different things here. So one is like kind of how I started my entrepreneurial journey. And then there's, you know, how did I come to be the person who I am now? Um, I think we can jump into both if you want. So, you know, in terms of my entrepreneurial journey, I was an attorney at the SEC. Um, and, you know, how did I, you get into like, where yeah, was the yeah, dream? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A little boy who dreams of being a securities <laughs> lawyer, right? So, um, I've never met a securities lawyer before. It was <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I went to law school thinking that I was going to do human rights law. I had been working with this amazing guy um, named Tom Periello, who was a prosecutor um, at the International Criminal Court. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, I want to be prosecuting like bad guys on like a global scale, like the dictators and, you know, like genocidal people and like just the worst sort of human rights abusers. So you've always had this kind of deep, innate knowing that you wanted to do something good in the world and have an impact. Wanting to help. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I, I mean, it sounds a little bit egoic, but like I knew that I was going to have an impact on the world. Like I knew I had this gift to share. Right. Um, but at the time, the way that I framed it was very different than how I frame it now. Like I was a really ego driven person and it was just a really different perspective. Like when I went to law school, you know, thinking I was going to do human rights work, I like dug into all the human rights activities. And then, you know, within probably like three or four months of starting all that kind of coursework, I realized, you know, pretty quickly that at the root of all these human rights problems were economic problems. And I really didn't know much about business. And I was just seeing that like all the human rights abuses in a lot of ways were like negative consequences of people not having opportunity, right. Mm. Um, to be bettering their lives. And so I was like, if I really want to solve these problems, instead of just like putting band-aids on them, I need to learn a little bit about business. And so I started taking, you know, business coursework in addition to it. And the pendulum just swung like really far in that direction. I ended up doing more and more of that business work. And, you know, I was just such an ego driven, like kind of alpha person at the time. 
and the SEC was like the pinnacle of achievement for people that were doing business law. And that's why I decided I was going to do it. It's like, what's the most baller job that you could possibly get, you know? And they're like, they don't often even hire a class of people at all every year to come in as new attorneys. Like most people are coming in with, you know, 10 years of experience or something. How many people work as like that job in the world? Um, well, so like at the breed. SEC in my group, there's probably like a few hundred. You yeah. Know, like maybe what was the journey? How long was the journey to get there? So you actually made it to the top. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I like graduated law school and I got this dream job, right? It was like the pinnacle of achievement. But the thing is, you know, when you get your dream job or your dream partner or any of it, like, and then you start living with the day to day, it becomes real, you know? Mm. Um, and the dream kind of fades away. And I, you know, you start to wonder like, why did I do this in the first place? And, you know, I love the I love the identity of it. Right. And like telling people, you know, living in Washington, D.C., like, oh, I'm a securities lawyer at the SEC. Like people know what that is. There's a lot of prestige around it. And I was very attracted to that at the time. Right. Um, And then in terms of like, you know, my leaving, it was just this crazy confluence of events. So I'd been dating this girl for a couple of years who I was like deeply in love with and who I was getting ready to move in with. And one Sunday night, she like comes in and like I see on her face that something's wrong and she dumps me. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the next morning I go into work and I'm like kind of, you know, just feeling like a little down, but like just normal day. And around noon, we get this email that the guy in the office next to me, um, this man named Praveen had died. And he was this like a really young, fit, healthy guy who picked up this obscure infection while traveling in India and like went to the hospital one morning with a stomach ache and was like dead that day. Wow. Um, it's a and big wake up call. It was this wake up call. And so what happened was, you know, over the course of the next like week or two, there's a giant sack of papers on his desk and the stack is just getting smaller and smaller as people are taking his work. And within two weeks, there was nothing left. And I was just like, holy shit. Like if I were to die tomorrow, there would be no like there would have been no imprint of me having been here. Like I was totally replaceable, totally fungible. I felt like I would have had left no mark whatsoever, like on the world, you know? And it's so um, fascinating because I had a very similar story with football, mm-hmm. right? Like we are just a piece of the cog, a cog in the machine that's going to continue on. And I'm very much realizing as people get cut and I had my own experience of actually getting cut one time and get picked up by another mm-hmm. team and realizing, wow, like this machine is going to go on without me. And I really yeah. don't have that much, importance here mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fascinating yeah and so you know i started talking to friends about how you know i was like a little bit messed up by this and they were like listen like you just had these two crazy traumas happen just like give this a couple of weeks you're gonna be fine like you're not gonna leave your job like come on man mm. and just every day when i came in you know thinking that it was gonna get easier and easier and this feeling would go away the voice in my head just got like louder and louder until it was screaming at me like you need to leave you need to do something else and so i just went into my boss's office one day i was like listen i'm i'm done i'm leaving and i'd only been there for probably like eight months at the time it really Mm. wasn't that long Um, and i just told her like this is not what the purpose of my life is you know i'm gonna go do something else and thank god like she was so supportive you know Mm. the head of our department nobody else understood though None of my friends understood, you know, my parents didn't really understand, you know, everyone around me who had seen me sort of like achieve this peak thing. And they're like, you're just going to walk away from it. Like you've been working for like years and years and years, you know, to achieve this thing and you're just going to be done. And they just thought maybe it was like a young, like immature kind of thing or whatever. But 
I just knew that I had to do it. And, you know, the thing that scared me the most wasn't like the, you know, how am I going to make money going forward or anything like that? It was really the like, who am I? What's my identity now? Like I just was so tied to my job identity being my identity that I almost didn't know who I was without it. Mm, um, that resonates so hard. Yeah. It's such a similar journey. And I have my other podcast, Life Beyond the Game, where I bring on people mm-hmm. and talk about their transitions. And this is just like exactly the same thing that we feel, right? It's I felt this calling in my eighth year to let go of this thing. And it took a lot of courage to step into that because I didn't know what was after, but I knew I couldn't do this thing anymore. Mm -hmm. And that transition is so hard. And even though I was walking away on my own terms, I was still like, when it was finally gone, like the finality of it was like, oh, wow. Like, what do I do now? How did you handle, like, was it difficult to let go? I know that you talked about that voice in your head that was telling you it was time. And it's like this back and forth battle. And then, you know, the identity, not only that you have of this thing you've been working so hard for, but all the people around you that didn't really understand or support you. How did you navigate that? It was really challenging. You know, that's the answer is it was was really difficult. And I guess I was just fortunate that, you know, I had a small community of friends who were entrepreneurs. I had an amazing mentor, this guy, Benji, who um, had been in my fraternity with me and like had always been a mentor for me. And I, you know, had someone to kind of like, bounce some ideas off of and things like that, which was really amazing. And through him got connected to a lot of other entrepreneurs and things and talked to people about, you know, sort of how they had made this journey. Um, we eventually did like a little podcast about it called the leap takers and just interviewed Mm. people who like were quitting boring corporate jobs to go pursue their passions. And that was one of the ways that I was processing. It was just having conversations with people who had done similar things and knowing you're not alone and so isolated is huge. Exactly. So that was, you know, a big part of it. And then also another part of it was just like, you know, I was really young and like thought I was the shit and like knew I was going to figure it out. You know, like I'd always been someone who had achieved in my life and I always had, you know, been at the pinnacle of like whatever it was, you know, like the president of my fraternity and like got this cool job and, you know, this club and that club. And so I just sort of had like inner confidence in knowing that I was going to be all right because I'd been someone who had achieved so far. Mm. But what's really difficult is that I'd always been achieving within a framework, right? Like in school, it's like, you get the good grade, right? Or, you know, you sort of have this path or checklist to success in these things. There's like a mold for it. And then you switch to entrepreneurship and business and it's all wide open. There's no mold anymore. And so it's like, how do you, like, I don't even know what it means to be good at this or like what the attributes are of it. So that's just part of, you know, figuring it out over the course of years. And fortunately, you know, we, we built a business that ended up being successful and it let me do a bunch of other things. But uh, yeah, at the time, man, I really don't know. Yeah. When you, uh, it's nice to have that, that, that history to look back on knowing that cause I had a similar thing. Like, I don't know what it is I'm going to do, but doing some self-reflection and knowing I reached one of the pinnacles, like one of the hardest things to do in the world is mm-hmm. to make it to the NFL. And then the average career is only three years. And I, I knew that whatever I put my mind to, I could be successful at. And I just, the difficult part is finding out what that is. <laughs> right. And I'd like to talk about that that voice in your head a little bit, because I think a lot of people, you know, they feel like maybe they're in a relationship that's not good for them. Maybe they're in a job that's not good for them. Obviously, you had this these events that really brought it to you in like a very visceral way. But when that voice starts speaking to you, and I think a lot of people don't answer that call, or it takes a lot of courage to really show up and see like, what is this calling me to? And it's calling you into the unknown, but knowing that that's where you have to go. How do you, how do you navigate and what do you kind of attribute that voice in your head to? Yeah. So, you know, what's funny is 
like the fear of the unknown for me at that point was actually way less scary than the fear of the known. It was like, if I stay here, I know exactly what my life is going to look like and I'm going to get this promotion and this one, I'll be on this path and on this path. And like, you know, at some point I realized like, I don't want my boss's job and I don't want my boss's 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 job. Like I don't want any of that. Right. And so the fear of knowing what my path was probably going to be there actually terrified me way more than like the total unknown of like jumping into the abyss. Right. Mm. Um, and at the time, like it's hard to say what I was really feeling then because I am not the same person that I was then. Right. And we'll get into some of the, you know, experiences and substances, you know, that have molded me into who I am now. And so it's really difficult to say because I'm sort of applying my today mind to how I was thinking about it back then. Back then, man, I really just think like I was cocky and was like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to be great at this, whatever it is, you know? Um, and the voice was like really one of the first times that I had listened it all to my inner knowing. Like I, I had this, um, despite like going to law school, my undergrad was micromolecular biology and some philosophy, but you know, sort of this like hard science person, mm. reason and logic and, you know, like your gut and intuition was just like those pesky emotions, you know, yeah. like that were made to be subordinated and like not really listened to. And so I think it was really one of the first times that I had to grapple with what is this voice? And is it something that I should be listening to? And it just really felt right for me in that moment. But I don't know how conscious I even was of it, of like, you know, we use words now like intuition and, you know, listening to like your your inner soul voice and that kind of stuff. I didn't have any framework for it. I just knew that I need to like get the hell out of that job. Mm. You know? And so talk about the evolution of that, that voice and continuing to connect with it and mm. maybe some challenges that you went through some different, you know, transitions, like where was the the spiritual path? How did that kind of evolve into what you're doing now and where you're at? Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely one moment that I think is, you know, the biggest shift of all of them where I started to actually listen more to, you know, that voice and the inner wisdom and intuition and things. So, um, about a week before my wedding, uh, so like October of 2017, um, my wife and I, you know, we were doing something at the time where like a couple of times a year we would like rent a cabin out in nature somewhere and have like 10 friends come in and we would do psychedelics together. You know, I could talk about it on the show, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> we would like get some friends together and do mushrooms. And it was always the sort of like playful thing, but we were like initiating a lot of people into it who maybe hadn't tried it before. Um, and, you know, when I was doing mushrooms, like for me, it was always this very like external play experience. Like I love the visuals. I love listening to music. And my wife, on the other hand, would like go off with the journal and like her headphones, like sit in a dark room and go inwards. Right. Mm. I was pure outwards. She was pure inwards. And I remember, you know, she came out of this room and came and found me and was like trying to explain to me this like incredible heart opening experience that she had had. But like I was moving so fast, you know, and I was always moving so fast in my life in general. But she just sort of like cornered me and like told me to slow down for a moment and gave me this hug. And I had this thing happen where I saw my energy, which was blue, mixing with her energy that was red. And they sort of melded together. And I just began to feel this feeling that I now in hindsight know as my heart opening. But at the time, I did not know what it was, but I knew I was really, really uncomfortable and I needed to get away from it immediately. <laughs> and so I just felt like ill. It's like how I described it at the time. And I made it like two steps away from her and I collapsed on the ground. 
And I basically had a seizure and woke up in her arms. And as I was laying there on the ground, like being cradled by her, like not really knowing what had just happened to me, I felt her energy and what she was feeling. And I felt my other friend a few feet away of like his energy and what he was feeling. And it was the first time in my entire life that I had ever felt true empathy before. And that mm. I was having this one-to-one experience of what the other person was feeling. And it's not that I was like a sociopath or anything. And like, you know, I had emotions, right? But it was like this intellectual head mm. type of thing where like, if I saw someone who, you know, was really sad because their dog had just died, it was like, oh man, like I know what that's like. My dog died too. I remember how I felt when that happened. And it was like just being filtered through my own experience. Mm. And this was this direct connection where I was actually feeling what they were feeling, right? And um, it just cracked everything open for me. And it just made me sort of realize that like humans have these powers that I didn't know that we'd had before. It was like, you get bit by a radioactive spider and wake up Spider-Man. <laughs> it was like, you know, I had this amazing hug that like opened my heart for the first time. And so that kind of started my journey of just feeling into, you know, some of these other things that existed. And it just sort of caused me to slow down in life a little bit in general, because I find you can only really approach these things from a place of stillness, right? Mm. You have to sort of quiet the mind to perceive them. You know, they're more subtle than like a lot of the other senses. And so that's really what kicked off a lot of it for me. And then I just found, you know, over the couple of years thereafter, I just started opening my mind more to the possibility that there were things I didn't know and things that I hadn't been able to perceive in my life so far. And I just had these like moments that can only be described like as magic, right? Mm. I had a moment of telepathy with a friend where like we had this whole conversation, you know. Is this on psychedelics? I had had a really, really, really small dose of MDMA. Mm-hmm. Um, like you would probably call it like sort of a museum dose. It was definitely not enough to have anything like that happen, right? Mm-hmm. But I I saw one, like this person's face morph like into their prior lifetimes. And I felt pretty sober at the time. Yeah. And I saw the other people who he had been and like he had told me that he had been prior lives and I thought it was total bullshit. And then I just like saw it myself. Um, and then I had like, this crazy experience where over the two weeks after that, um, I had three people independently come up to me and ask me if I had been this like one specific famous person in a prior life, like having never met me before. Who um, was it? I'm almost embarrassed to say. <laughs> you um, gotta know. Um, it was Marcus Aurelius. Oh. Yeah. Who I've always been really called to actually. Yeah. Um, but it was like people who I had never met before who just felt compelled to come up and like ask me this question, which is like such a weird thing to ask someone like, Hey, in a prior life, like, were you so-and-so? Um, and it just sort of opened me to the possibility of like more, you know, magic in our world. And, you know, I've, I've sort of blended it with my own perspective of like kind of the hard science background. Right. And mm. trying to figure out like, what's the sort of like physics and energetic, you know, perspective of it. You know, I mean, our hearts put off electrical signals that are perceptible, you know, like mm. meters away from where we're standing. Was it, and was so, it tough for you to like integrate that experience? Did you try and fight it or like through that totally, experience? Like when yeah. you experience something like that, it's like opens your eyes. Did you dive right in or do you have resistance? Were you trying to prove it with your science background? Cause I, I'm, I'm too, mm-hmm. I love the science and you know, quantum physics and all this stuff. And I'd love to get your perspective on how the science now is starting to prove all this stuff. Like you said, with the energy that the heart puts off and all these new kind of findings that we're having that we don't live in necessarily such a physical universe, but it's all energy at the quantum level. So in the moment, 
you know, the telepathy experience and like having like a full conversation with this person. It was so real. Were they so talking back to you? Yeah. Like we were talking to each other, but just te- te- telepathically. Yeah. Just staring and at each other in the eyes. with you the same experience that like afterwards, did you guys talk about like, were we just talking to each other or oh, was yeah. it not in your head? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> Matt, who we both know, like yeah. my business partner who we met. So Matt walked over when we were in the middle of this telepathic moment and Matt looks at my buddy, Adrian and I, who was the guy that I was talking to. He comes over. He's like, Hey guys, what's up? And Adrian and I both look up at him, not talking. And Matt looks at us and he goes without talking. Cause I was trying to tell him like, you can join us, but like, we're not talking. Right. And so he said, and, he goes, and, and so he goes without talking. Like what I just told him, and I like told him yes. And then Matt like joined the conversation for a moment. And then he got like super freaked out and walked away. Cause he was hearing us. <laughs> and he like, he <laughs> yeah, a deal of the moment, crazy. right? Yeah. And so it was like, not only this guy, Adrian and I who had this experience, but then this other third party like yeah. came in and, and saw the exact same thing. And so, you know, have you tried so to recreate real. this? Like, have you ever sat down like sober and been like me and you sitting here and try to access those kind oh, of magical yeah. powers? Oh yeah. I mean, my wife and I play with it. Like, um, a game that we'll do sometimes with friends is we'll send like a color to someone or like send a number to someone. And dude, I've seen us go on a roll of like, you know, pick any number one through 20 and get like, you know, if you got like three in a row, right. Like fine. Like when you get like six, seven, eight numbers in a row, like, it's a mathematical impossibility, right? That there mm. isn't something more happening there. And so it's definitely something that, that we play with. Yeah. Can you try and send me a number right now? Sure. <laughs> Let's go. What, one through 10. Yeah. yeah. Five. No, <laughs> five, five was the first one that I thought. Oh, and then I changed it to six. But it was like before I said, go. <laughs> we'll keep uh, messing we'll, with we'll, it. Yeah, we'll try it. Yeah. yeah. You also have to be like really, like dropped like in, really right? Really dropped in, which I think is hard with like, yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about that with the, with the state shift and stuff. And, yeah. you know, we can talk about what you're creating with, with AMA healing yeah. and, you know, this cocktail that you brought over this new kind of prototype, which I'm really excited about, but you already have this uh, product called Elevate, yeah. which is an alcohol, you're pitching it as an alcohol alternative. You can talk a little bit about that, but you know how us as a society, like, we all have so much going on, our energies and alcohol is this social kind of lubricant where we, we want to go out and we want to connect with others. And the easy way to do that is to have a drink because it connects us energetically. And that's part of the reason that when we all go have a drink, like we drop in and we have so much fun, obviously it like kind of inebriates you a little bit, yeah. but talk about the, the kind of future of what you're trying to create with these state shifts without kind of the poison that alcohol is where you can still access these kind of connection connected and vibrationally and energetically with people through these other modalities that are actually a lot more healthy. For sure. So, you know, part of what's required um, to really drop in with people is shifting from your sympathetic nervous system. If you ever hear of like your fight or flight response, that's sympathetic into parasympathetic, which is the like grounded state. Right. Um, and you have a different brainwave pattern that's associated with it. You go from like high beta to alpha or like maybe even theta wave or something like that. So there's this sort of physiological shift that happens. And, you know, so many people in our world right now have anxiety and just, you know, they have these like thought loops that run all the time and alcohol is a bit of a numbing agent and it turns off some of those negative thought patterns. It gives us a little bit more confidence in ourselves and it reduces our social anxiety. And so when that social anxiety is reduced, you know, that's what allows us to like let loose, have fun, you know, be free and that kind of thing. Right. And that's beautiful. Right. And like, I think, you know, in the conscious community, in the wellness community, we really 
are harsh on alcohol and don't really have any respect for it. But I think we at least have to acknowledge that it has this one function, right? Um, of shifting people into this state, you know, to some degree, right? But it's also one of the most harmful substances that exists, you know, in our society right now. I mean, when we look at the, you know, health costs of alcohol, um, you know, we spend like huge amounts of money with alcohol, you know, treatment. When we look at like deaths that are caused and like violence that's caused, I mean, there's more violence associated with alcohol than there is any of the other hard drugs, you know, heroin, cocaine, like any of these, like mm. way more people are hurt and hurt others when on alcohol than any other substance, right? More people are going to die from alcohol abuse than pretty much any other disease, you know, worldwide this year. Like I think 20 million people are going to die this year from alcohol abuse. Um, and that's so, more than COVID, I think. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No joke, man. I mean, just the people who are drinking too much this year because they're stuck at home, like with mm, COVID, you know, probably yeah. more are going to die, which is a whole other thing. But, you know, we just have this general consensus agreement that on the spectrum of harm of substances, alcohol is one of the worst ones. Right. And so what we are trying to do is just ask this question of like for our group of friends, right, who don't drink that much because we find it lowers a vibration or it makes us feel foggy headed or it makes us feel you know, disconnected from our friends, especially after a couple of drinks that makes people feel just like kind of violent or icky or something like, how do we keep the best parts of it? Like the ritual of like cheersing with friends, like a champagne toast, like a beer at a baseball game on a sunny day, like mm. the mom that has a glass of Chardonnay before bed. Like these are beautiful rituals, you know, like it's our separation. It's how we shift our state from like stuck in traffic, punching the clock to like that TGIF, that me time, that sacred time. And so you know, we just approach them from this perspective of how do we keep this ritual, which has a lot of beauty in it, but make it one that is really good for you and that gets you more connected and more present to the people that you're with. And it took a lot of experimentation, but now we have something that we think really fits that bill and gives you the loose, social, relaxed feeling, but, you know, with no hangover the next day. So it's like, it's something that allows you to celebrate today without borrowing from tomorrow. Mm. And I think there are some substances that, you know, give you a little bit of like a hangover the next day that are really worth it. And I'm sure you've talked about a lot of them on your show, yeah. but alcohol is definitely not one of them. I know. You know? And it's funny. Cause like my journey with alcohol is I used to have such social anxiety. Like I was and doing all this inner healing work, like, you know, not being able to like connect with women without having a few drinks. And yeah. so I would drink and it would actually, I'd feel better when I drink, like you're talking about to close the loops. But now that I've started doing these practices like meditation and, and even the, like we took a few breaths before we started this podcast, just yeah. to drop in to, to each other, something as simple as that can really change the state of ourselves personally and then connect with another person. Mm. But without all those tools and practices, now I go and have a drink and it's like this habitual pattern of like the ritual of it. Right. Mm. And I, I've been working through that, but now I find myself when I have like two or three beers, it actually disconnects me yeah. from the experience because yeah. I'm so present now because I've done all this work on myself that when I find myself drinking it, it disconnects me from other people. A hundred percent. And that's why I find myself drinking less and less. Like I'm not, it's not that like I never have a drink, you know, I probably have like one a month or something. Right. Mm. And it's like a beer with a friend or like a glass of wine with dinner or something. But, you know, I always notice that if I have a second or a third, I'm just not really there anymore fully mm. with the people that I'm with. And, and that's the thing that bothers me about it. Like the hangovers, yeah, it's bad. Like, especially now post 30. Right. But it's not as bad as just not enjoying the company as much of who I'm with and not having the same level of conversation. So you're, you're absolutely right, man. And that's, um, and that's something that, you know, I think we're going to just see 
people caring about more and more and more as we're sort of coming out of quarantine, we're going back out to like bars and things is like, we're just craving that depth of human connection. Like that's the thing that we really want. And so at least our hypothesis is that, you know, people are just craving these other substances for getting, you know, the benefits of it, but don't want the downsides. And so that's the shift that I think we're going to see take place. Um, And, you know, something else that I think is important to mention is like, we don't need any substances to reach these states, right? I mean, you said we had a breath before we got in here, which helps you drop in. You can meditate, you can do yoga, you know, there's a lot of these practices. Um, And so I think it's important, you know, just to say to people, like, you don't need a substance, right? You, you just need to get that calm grounded state, but it helps a lot as like a crutch sometimes to have these other tools because you know, like I've been practicing transcendental meditation for 15 years. Like I've got this really cool skill, you know, not everyone has the luxury of having done that. Like not everyone can go be a monk in Tibet and like sit on top of a mountaintop for a month, right? Like our lives are busy and hectic and like, we don't always have the time for all the like self-care rituals that help us get present. And I think that's why it's really important to just have something that we can take that connects us to that feeling, not so that we can like rely on the substance every time we want to, but it's just the more we stay in that present state, the easier it is to recognize when you fall out of it. Mm. And so it's just about forming a habit of living in presence regularly, noticing when you're moving away from it. And then before you shift to substance as your solution, it's like, can I do breath work to get through this? Can I stretch? Can I go outside and put my feet in the dirt and get some sun in my body? Right. And people say that to us all the time. It's like, why are you telling people they don't need this product? Right. <laughs> it's like, you know, we're doing a lot of cool things in the world. Like, this one is because we're trying to wake people up or trying to shift consciousness. Right. And if I like just get people reliant on another substance, like that's not what this is about. Right. Like yeah. we're trying to upgrade humanity. And so like, yes, it's really helpful at the beginning of your journey, but my hope is that people will graduate away from our product and all products like it and be able to just constantly live like in that present state in that flow state. Yeah. It's beautiful, man. You talk about, uh, you know, it all comes back down to self-awareness, right. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, even enlightenment is not, something that you achieve and then you're enlightened it's a constant unfolding into the present moment and in order to do that you have to constantly have an awareness of the stories that are popping up and being able to question them in real time Mm -hmm. and that's the real skill right the real superpower um so talk about that you said you know the the goal is to wake people up what does that what does that even mean yeah and how do we go about doing that i mean i can tell you what it means for me right which is it's exactly what you just said. It's having awareness around why we are doing the things that we're doing. You know, I find that so many of my friends make decisions, especially my friends from law school, like they make decisions because of their desire for external validation. They make decisions because they're afraid of switching paths. They make decisions because of inertia. Like I've been doing this for so long. Like, why would I stop now? Right. Mm. Um, and they just never stop to ask themselves like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing right now? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing in my life? And so we're really just asking people to bring a level of awareness. And again, like tuning into that intuition, like we were talking about before and saying, okay, like your head and your rational mind has reasons for you to stay this attorney, right? You're making a ton of money and it's like an easy path and things like that. But like when you're laying there in bed at night and you close your eyes and you start listening, like, is your heart like praising you for being an attorney? Is it screaming like, I love document review. Like this deal is amazing. And, you know, I think the answer is pretty universally. <laughs> no. Yeah. Like 
Yeah. Like, damn, that sounds so boring. Yeah. And like the answer is just so pretty universally no. Mm. And I've just been so fortunate to facilitate these, you know, we'll call it like onboardings to consciousness for people, oftentimes through psychedelics that, you know, I've just seen so many people kind of shake out of their normal lives and go on to do things that really fulfill them and that they really love and that they're really thriving in. Um, and so I think that's really what it's about is just asking, like, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Or, you know, if something really like annoys you, you know, I find we're so quick to like blame the person who annoyed us. Right. Like no one else has any control over your emotions. Like you're mm. responsible for how you respond to it. Like people say annoying shit to me all the time and like take shots at me. And like now I just laugh at it, you know. Mm. And the real trick is to love them anyway. Right. To love them anyway. You got to hug your haters. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's the same kind of thing there where. You know, you just have to do things for the right reasons. And I think a lot of people are too afraid to even ask what their reasons are. And so ultimately, that's what I think waking up is about is just, you know, really asking, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Am I making my decisions from a place of fear or from a place of like love and excitement? Um, and am I fulfilling, you know, what I think my purpose is? And like, if I didn't have to work for money, you know, what would I be doing and things like that? And then helping, you know, transmute their passion to something that can actually, you know, like be a real thing in the world that supports them, I guess. Mm. Yeah. And you talked about, you know, these superpowers like telepathy yeah. and this energy and accessing these higher levels of awareness and the gifts that we don't even realize that we're capable of. But as you raise your awareness, you start to access these higher states of, of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And um, it really is an internal journey, right? Mm -hmm. And it, everybody's externalizing and it's like, that's the real superpower. It's like, yeah, we can access all these higher states of awareness, communicate telepathically. Like, what else can we do? But really, the superpower is being able to live the life that you really want to create, that the, the universe wants to experience through you, which yeah. that's the intuition, right? There's something yeah. deep within us that's calling us to experience something. And whatever that is, we have a story that's programmed in us from society and culture of what success looks like, what happiness looks like. And a lot of us find why am I not happy? Mm -hmm. You know, and the most wealthy people most of the time are unhappy and they're just trying to get somewhere. And it's like, how do I find what is it within me that wants to be experienced through me? Mm -hmm. And that's the real superpower. And when you can work through those stories and have a self-awareness and actually be in, be in the presence of other people and not be affected by external circumstances, but being able to just be loving presence. I mean, that's really the story of Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Is he fully embodied loving presence? Mm -hmm. And just the presence of that is so deeply healing to people that you're around. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ram Das, back when he was Richard Alpert, was talking about how, you know, the first time he went to India and like sat in the presence of the person who became his guru, like Maharaji. Yeah, like he said nothing to him. He just was there and looking at him and like you just break down, you know, and can't handle this love, you know, that's coming toward you and this like lack of judgment that's coming toward you. And I think that's really the greatest gift that we can give other people is just to be present and to give them love anyways and approach them without judgment, you know. Mm. Um, you know, something that I think is really interesting that you're talking about is like, you know, how do we start to create this life that we want? And, you know, my perspective on that has shifted a lot just in the last few months. Um, you know, we've been on like this crazy roller coaster, you know, the last few years with, with a couple of our businesses and like probably about two months ago, um, 
my business partner, Matt, who you know, and I started doing these abundance meditations mm. and I did it at first to appease my wife because she was like leading it for a bunch of our friends. <laughs> yeah. And she like, I'll really wanted, you. yeah, she like really wanted me to do it. And I was like, oh, fine. Like I'll do the abundance meditation every day. And dude, I'm telling you, like within two weeks of it starting, we had more deals closed and like more financial abundance come our way than in like the two years previous. Mm. And I have no other way to explain it. Like nothing else shifted except just every day I was actually embodying this feeling like of being abundant, you know, in everything that I had and just showing gratitude for it and just, you know, feeling it. Right. And I think that's one thing that people um, often get wrong is like, they think, you know, I need to make it first. And like, once I make it then, right. Like once Mm. I have this thing, then I'll be happy when, right. Mm. And it's actually the opposite. It's like, if you just are happy now, and if you just tell yourself that you are abundant now, like that is the reality that you will create. All the things find you. All the things find you. Like when you're it's the secret on, sauce of the universe. That's the secret sauce, man. It's like, you know, I know so many people who are like, you know, they focus on like, I want more money. I want more money. That's such a common one, right? And it's like, okay, what are you calling in? Like you're calling in your want of more, like your present lack of it, right? Yeah, you're telling the universe you don't. You you don't have enough, which is going to give you exactly what you are, which is not having enough money, which is going to create that pattern. And so, you know, we were talking about this and we had lunch last week of like, you know, I was talking to one of my mentors about how I was just feeling like this financial scarcity. And what she told me I needed to do was just like give away some money and go and buy something like really expensive. And so I like started doing like a bunch of donating, like despite the fact that I felt like kind of scarce and I was like feeling, you know, some tension around money in my life. And then I went and uh, signed up for like this incredible like course retreat thing that was really expensive that I wouldn't have normally done. And again, man, like it just unlocked this other level for me where as soon as I did that, like we just started getting more financial abundance rolling in. And like, I'm not saying that I have all the answers for this yet. And even talking about it now, Like I still notice that it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable that I'm going to be like seen as this woo woo kind of person, Mm. you know, and like, that's still a fear that I have and like a judgment that I have on myself. But, um, I just, I'm seeing more and more evidence all the time through living it, that it is real. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, like sort of this notion of the quantum state. Right. Mm. And I think, you know, there's a lot of BS, like when people start using the word quantum, but one part of it that does make sense to me is that, you know, our intention can shift what happens in the world, right? Like before, you know, things are observed and we like have this superposition collapse and like, I don't need to go too deep into the quantum mechanics of it, but like we have pure potentiality, right? Um, We are infinite potential. We're infinite potential and our universe is purely probabilistic, right? Um, Like everything just exists within this sort of spectrum of, of chance, right? And people think like, it's just a roll of the dice that gives us the answers. And what I'm realizing now is that my intention and what I choose to put my focus on is basically letting me like blow on the dice a little bit. Mm. And it's not always this direct one-to-one thing, but like as it's being cast, I'm putting a little bit of what I want into it. And I just find more and more, you know, it's coming up sixes. Yeah. What just came to me is there's this, this study I read about where they actually have proven this uh, scientifically through observation is like the flip of a coin, right? If you flip a coin enough times, probabilistically it should be 50 50 you know at least 49.9 percent like either way and they did this test where they created some kind of thing where they sat people in front and they like set their intention energetically on like Mm -hmm. heads 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 
And it was enough of a shift that it's like astronomically one direction that they mm-hmm. did have an influence on the flip of the coin. Have you ever seen um, the studies with uh, like the intentions that you send to plants? Yes. Yeah. So like there's this really cool study where, and anyone can try this at home. Like this is an experiment that you could do at home for like under $5 is you get two of the same plant. Um, you water them the same, give them the exact same food. And like one of the plants, you know, you separate them in space from each other. And one of them, you see like really nasty things too, and you insult it and stuff. And the other one, you like, you know, say all these beautiful things too, and tell how it's doing an amazing job of growing and all these things. And like, just wait and see what happens after two months and the difference in these things. Right. Um, you know, there, it's so cool now that like we're merging, you know, this stuff with the scientific side of it. Like Duke university did a study at their medical school where they had this group of people like praying for patients. And it started out as the researchers being like, Oh my God, like, will these religious nuts just like leave us alone already? Like we're just mm. going to prove them wrong once and for all and be done. And like, wouldn't you know, man, the group of people who are prayed for had way better outcomes. Yeah, you can't deny it, right, yeah. at that point. And it's like the power of our word, right? And when we have these negative thought loops telling us that we're unworthy or we don't look good or that we're not successful, when you have those patterns talking to yourself in that negative mm-hmm. way, like, what do you think is going to happen? And that's why it's so important, like positive affirmations, these simple things that if you incorporate in your daily life, which a lot of people say, I don't have time for that. I don't have time to find stillness. <laughs> you don't have time not to. <laughs> I, you don't have time not to because it has such a profound impact on your life and everything will start shifting. It's wild. Um, you're so smart and you're, uh, I would love to get your perspective on some of the bigger collective issues that we're facing. I know, mm-hmm. I've, I've done a little bit of reading about the power of, of hemp and all of its different properties and the ability that it can really help us shift like a lot of these collective problems that we're facing instead of cutting down trees, like growing yeah. hemp and using it for paper or the medicinal qualities or, you know, even helping the soil like reorganify itself yeah. and clean out all of the toxins. Mm-hmm. Talk about some of the bigger picture stuff as far as where humanity is headed and some of the things that we can shift. I know you're an entrepreneur and you're really focused on this kind of stuff. And it's, you know, for me personally, like I feel called to be of service in a big way too. And a lot of times it's so daunting for us to individually look out in the world and see all the problems. Mm. Like how do we go about shifting them? And what are the things that we can actually practically do on a big level to really help shift this uh, direction that we're headed? Mm, Yes. I mean, you know, hemp is just one amazing example, right? Where we can make hempcrete from it, which is like, it's way more, you know, energy efficient than making concrete is. It's a way better insulator. You know, we can use hemp seeds, you know, as a food source and like as a complete protein in a way that's really cool. And, you know, we can use hemp fibers to make our clothing from. And now we're working with people that are making hemp plastics so we can stop being reliant on, you know, traditional plastics, which essentially just come from like fossil fuels, right? Um, so that's that's one, right? Is where these alternative ways, you know, in terms of like solving the big problems of the world, you know, again, what I've learned over the past year is like, it starts with fixing, you know, the people first, right? Like, you know, when we watch these videos, you know, or see commercials online of like the starving kid in Africa, which is like, I realize a bit like everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about when I say that, which is mm-hmm. the reason I give that example. Like everyone's seen that video before. Um, we have enough food in the world to feed everyone. Mm. Like we one have to get rid of the narrative that there isn't enough. Right. Mm. So that's one of the first things we have to quit lying to ourselves and saying that there aren't enough resource for everyone because there are, what we have is a distribution problem that the resources aren't even distributed. What we have is a lack of empathy problem and that we don't see those people as the same as us, you know, especially in our culture, 
we almost have this sort of like unconscious hierarchy of like the value of human life. And so when I say that like empathy is the solution to all of it is like, you know, if people living in the U S had the opportunity to go and live in the developing world, I'm like, I've spent time living in like the rural Dominican Republic. I set up like a CPR and first aid training program there in like a prior life. And just had the opportunity to see that like everyone in the world wants the exact same things for themselves. And like, there's a certain fundamental human dignity that exists in all of us. I just stopped othering people who look different from me and who had different experiences from me. That was one of the biggest shifts for me. Right. And, you know, I was very lucky that I had the opportunity to go and like to do these things and meet people, you know, and all of those are places that a lot of people in the U S don't have, but the more we can just, you know, open our hearts and realize that like we are all the same and literally we are all one. And like, we can talk a little bit more about what that means. The more we'll care. Right. And as soon as we start caring, I think the problems won't actually be that difficult to solve. Like if we get to a point where we say, you know, everyone in the world is family, all men are brothers. Like within a generation, I think all of those problems are going to go away. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Mm. Like we'll, we'll just care enough to make it work. Right. Do you think um, it has something to do with the value system and like the, the greed that comes in and the power dynamics that, you know, people that are running these corporations and these governments there's this greed for power and control and it is that they're, they're operating from this place of scarcity and control and separateness and their need. I mean, it's this egocentric living that makes them like the ego is separate, right? We need the yeah. ego to have a separate or uh, an idea of a separate self. But when you start becoming the observer and you start being able to see the ego as a story construct of who you think you are, but it's not actually you are because as soon as you start creating that separation, that metacognition, you know, through meditation, or whatever, and you start witnessing these stories and these triggers and these emotions that come up, you're like, well, who's the part of me that is the witnesser yeah. and that part. And this is the part we can talk about with the oneness of everything. That observer in me is the same observer in you is the same observer in the person in Africa, everybody that's observing the story. And that's what connects us all. And so we have to be able to work through and change the narrative of the story of who we are individually in order to share change the story of who we are collectively. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, I think is just our fear. It's our fear that we won't have enough. You know, it's this, again, like this scarcity mindset that makes us feel like we have to accumulate and accumulate and all these things. Right. And then there's the ego, you know, trying to protect us and saying like the reason that you have and they don't is that you like work harder or you're smarter and like and you deserve these, it because you worked you, harder. Than exactly, them. man. Yeah. And you know, like in one sense, I totally get why we have that story. And I think that's been an important one, you know, especially in the U S like a lot of these great leaders and like incredibly wealthy people have built the things that they have like mm. for that reason, you know, and a lot of people talk about like killing the ego and destroying the ego and all these things. And I just don't think that's the right approach. That's I a fallacy too. Cause without the ego, you won't have a, uh, yeah. an experience. Yeah. And so it's just like, how do we harness it? How do we use it as a tool? Right? Like I, love my ego like that's where my ambition comes from you know and that's why mm. incredible things to me it's just you know how do i put it back into balance but you're right that the system that we have you know is one that rewards you know sort of selfish individualistic ideals and i think we're we're slowly shifting to a paradigm of more of like a collective and that exists in some cultures you know more than others and you know there's pros and cons to both but i think we need to find a new balance between the two. Yeah. Sure. It's like this binary choice, right? Like we have the ability to create a minimum standard of living for everybody. Yeah. Like it's, but when I say that people are like, Oh, that's socialism. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, we have this, this binary thought system of things are either true or they're false. Yeah. Two choices. 
But what we're realizing through like what we're talking about with quantum physics and the energy of it all, things can both be true and false. And they can be neither true nor false. And when you introduce those concepts, you go from two choices of true or false to both true, both false, both true and false, or neither true and false. That all of a sudden introducing those two, both true and false, neither true nor false, that opens up to infinite possibility. It goes from two choices to infinite choices. And that's where we're stuck, right? We're like, we're in this culture where it's like, oh, capitalism's the way, or we don't want to be socialist. But how do we like create new systems that integrate everything into just everybody's taken care of, everybody's loved. We, as a human race, we have the ability, the resources, the technology for everybody to live a life of fulfillment and joy and happiness. But we're just so attached to there isn't enough, right? It comes back down to that scarcity mindset. The answer, the answer is so simple. It's that we just have to be less attached to our labels. Hmm. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm a socialist. I'm a capitalist. Like, no, I'm a fucking human. And like, yeah. I have really complex thoughts and like, I change my mind day to day sometimes on these things. Right. It's just coming at it from, um, there's this concept of like Shoshin in Buddhism, which is like beginner's mind. Mm. And it's just, I approach every day and hopefully every moment, like with a beginner's mind and with the intention of trying to learn something and having myself, you know, open to having my mind change constantly, I think is the best skill really that you can cultivate like as a human and as an entrepreneur. Right. Because like you said, you know, these labels and dichotomies are, are so false, right? Like I think, you know, I would not say that I'm a socialist, right? I probably lean more toward like the capitalism camp. But I think what people don't appreciate is that the system that we have in place right now in the U.S. is not capitalism at all. It's cronyism. It's large companies using their influence to change the laws to only impact themselves positively and not everyone else. Like we are so far away from having a free market in this country it's ridiculous. Like we have this influence buying system and like, it's one that I used to work in. Like I worked in the Senate, I did fundraising for politicians. Like I was the person in that machine and you know, it became so distasteful for me that I had to leave. Right. But I've seen the inner workings of it. And I think that, you know, we just haven't really seen like the best of what we can sort of get from capitalism in a free market yet. But at the same time, like I'm a deeply caring person for the world and for everyone around me. And, you know, I have a lot of like these libertarian leading tendencies because I really believe, you know, in individual freedom and sovereignty. And we do a ton of work in that movement and just teaching people what it means to be like a free, sovereign, free thinking human. Mm. Right. And then people see me doing, you know, like all this development work as well and doing a lot of charitable stuff. And they're like, that's so, you know, not the libertarian way. And it's like, they're also completely wrong. Right. Like I believe in human sovereignty and I also believe in human dignity. Both and I both. And like, I want to take care of everyone. Like I have been blessed with certain gifts that allow me to be really successful in this one system, right. Of capitalism. Like I've got whatever it takes that you need to be doing well in that lane Hmm. I've got. And I also recognize that like, there's a lot of that that has nothing to do with me that like through some random chance, I happen to have been born with these things that other people weren't. And like, that doesn't make them less deserving of me. Like I have so many friends who are artists doing incredible things in the world. who just like, can't seem to like get it going in terms of like the sort of financial side of things. Right. But like I am moved by their work. Like I'm constantly inspired by them. Like I want to be supporting of that, you know, like the Medici family, you know, in Florence back in the day, like, probably did more for human culture than any other family. And like, they were probably like really rapacious businessmen as well. Right. You know, so, so it's both. Right. And I think that's what it comes down to is being able to hold both, you know, in your mind at the same time and just not getting caught up in one identity, you know, too much more than any other. 
Yeah, it's funny. We like the biggest ideal of this country of living in the U.S. is is freedom, right? Yeah. Like we're free, but it's such an illusion if you really think about it. And we're just talking about belief systems. If you can't open your mind to another possibility, are you really free? Yeah. Are you slave to your ideologies? Yeah. And you know, I, I get this a lot of times when I was like when I was traveling in the van. A lot of people say like, "Oh, you're so lucky. I wish I could do that." And I'm telling you, if anybody listening to this says, "I wish I could do that," then you're not really free. Yeah. And like really take some time to think about that. If you, yeah. if you wish you could do something, but you're telling yourself you can't, then are you really free as you think you are? Yeah. And I can say from experience that all of the things that you think are going to free you are all illusions. Like, you know, I've lived like in the developing world and been bathing in river and like, you know, I've, I've lived that experience for an enough of an extended period of time to like really embody it. And you know, in there, I was like, man, I can't wait to get back to, you know, my hot shower and my normal bed and all these things that I think were going to make me feel better. And then you get back and you have them and like, it's nice for the first day. And Start taking like, it for granted again. Fuck, man, like I miss my community. Like I miss that everyone was like living together and sharing together and like all these things. And I feel so isolated. I'm like, you're watching TV by myself. Like, you know, and you just start to crave the other thing and it's sort of this grass is greener and like, financially man like i can tell you it's the same thing like having made and lost fortunes like over the years like there's definitely a bottom threshold right of like money that you need for survival i think the number is like eighty seven thousand dollars like yeah anybody that's making over eighty seven thousand dollars is not proportional to their happiness yep and like i can just tell you from my personal experience like it makes no fucking difference you know like there's certain moments that are like fun and exciting of like a thing that you can buy or an experience that you can have but they're fleeting, it, right? It's so fleeting, man. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so it's just, you know, if there's anything that like, I think people could take away from this, it's get out of if then thinking, like if you are telling yourself that in order to be insert, whatever happy love, you know, successful, whatever it is, some other thing has to happen first. Like you are a slave and you are a prisoner. Right. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you just realize that like right now in this moment, everything is perfect and you're exactly as you're supposed to be and you can have full acceptance of it you will have all the things that you're looking for. Yeah. That's the paradox, right? Yeah. If you can find that stillness and peace, all the things that you're searching for will find you. But I also listen, like I also, you know, to balance it out, like had I not achieved some of these things and had some of these things, I don't know that I would have believed myself. Like if I went back five years and listened to this podcast now, I'd be like, that guy's full of shit. Oh, yeah, like yeah. I want to make the money. I want all these things, you know? Like, well, that's the thing is it's, it's really cool because you have to go on the path to realize it through your own experience, yeah. right? And that's why I'm so grateful. It's because I went and lived my dream, made a lot of money, played football, and I got to a point where I was like, this isn't everything. Yeah. And I went and gave it all away and traveled in the van. And it's like, now I have a little bit of sense of freedom. But if I, you're right, if I didn't go on that journey to go achieve all that, I'd still be trying to achieve it. And it's, you know, it's hard to hear that. It's like, you, yeah. you can, you don't have to achieve it. You can kind of find presence because that's what we're all really trying to find is how do we enjoy the experience of life that's unfolding within us right now in this moment. The happiest people I have ever met in my entire life, like it was the family that I was living with in the DR. And like, I'm telling you, like compared to our standards, they had nothing. Mm. And man, they were really happy and they had incredible relationships and they wanted for nothing, you know? And it, it just, that's, that's what it's about. The things that we're focusing on mm. often are just not the things that are really going to bring us. I want to, I want to get your perspective. You talked a little bit about, cause you did work for the SEC. So this came to me, yeah. you know, a few minutes ago when we were talking about the corporations are running mm-hmm. our country. And I was talking to my dad who, you know, he's obviously older, wiser, been through a little bit more life than me. And he was talking about, um, you know, I think it was AT&T at one point, there was like some antitrust laws that came and they had to split up their company 
And then this one company got bigger and they actually ended up rebuying AT&T and then rebranding their company as AT&T because that's the power of branding. Mm. But that's besides the point. I want to get your perspective. Where are the antitrust laws now? Like you look out at like Amazon and how, and how much control they have, Google, Facebook, Apple, like they keep purchasing up companies. And is it just because they're in the pockets of the right people? I just feel like it's just kind of gotten out of control. And what's your perspective on that from actual like legal standpoint? Why aren't they doing anything? Yeah. So I'll say, you know, antitrust is not something that I ever like practice as a lawyer. So I'm kind of giving like a little bit of a layman's perspective on this. Okay. Maybe we'll call it like layman's plus, I guess, right? <laughs> uh, through osmosis a little bit. Um, you know, again, man, the answer is both, right? So like on one hand, they own the politicians, like they're donating all the money. They have a lot of power. Um, and on the other hand, you know, man, it's so convenient to like have these giant companies. Like I love that I get stuff delivered from Amazon, like right now when I deliver it, you know, I like that when I switch from my phone to my computer, like it knows what I'm searching for Mm. and gives me things that are relevant. And so there's a lot of convenience that I think comes along with having these huge companies and how efficiently they work. You know, the part that I think is scary for me is, um, you know, the amount of information that they have on us is now shifting from a place of they're of service to us to their shifting our minds and changing our physiology for their benefit and not ours. Mm. And so that's the part that I think is, is dangerous and we have to be really mindful of. Um, what was the movie that just came out? The social dilemma. Mm. I don't know if you saw that. If you, mm. if you're listening and you haven't watched that, I would definitely you know recommend that it's about how our brains are being hacked essentially by these companies. Um, and so I think, you know, that's problematic, but again, like I don't have the answers because I want both, you know, like I don't want my mind manipulated by these powerful forces that have like the best algorithms in the world and the best neuroscientists in the world, you know, working for them and figuring out how to capture my attention. Um, and I also want like my food delivered within like 30 minutes when I order it, you know, and I also want Amazon to like send me recommendations of things that they know I want because of conversations that I have with my friends that like they're spying on me on, you know? So um, how do we, I mean, how do we protect ourselves from like the convenience? Cause that's why it's happening, right? Because they're making life so easy for us. So everybody's kind of a slave to it. Cause it's like, oh yeah, like I don't want, not want this, but then we're centralizing the power to a select few who can really, if they're not doing the work, like we're talking mm-hmm. about, then they can really act from a place of ego. And that's a really dangerous thing to happen. Yeah. So I think, I don't know the whole answer, but part of the answer definitely, um, is decentralization and blockchain and cryptocurrency, which, you know, we've done work with a client that was essentially trying to do like Amazon plus crypto. Right. Um, and you know, their structure was really interesting, which was, you know, when you buy something on their site, instead of like Amazon, the company, you know, getting all the money, part of it is kicked back to you. The people who use the platforms are the owners of the platforms. Mm. And that's what I think real incentive alignment looks like is, Whoever's providing the benefit to a system should be getting some of the benefit of the system, right? And so, yes, like I'm getting things convenient from Amazon, but like what if a portion of all the proceeds were coming back to me? You know, we're going to like all the stakeholders in the system because you know the people who are selling on Amazon, they're getting squeezed too, man. Mm. You know, like they are constantly getting pushed down to do it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper because there's so many competitors coming in. You know, and so when they start getting a little bit extra, you know, the system looks a little bit different. And so I think. You know, part of that answer is having ownership spread really widely 
and having ownership held by the people who are actually like using and participating in the system is one of the answers because then it's built for us, right? Not for someone else. So that's just one slice, but one that I do think um, is really important and one that I think we're actually seeing you know, happening faster and faster and faster in a way that I think is pretty cool. Yeah. What came to me too, is even like the, the data that they're collecting, like we kind of just were blind to it for so long and yeah. they're using that to sell us even more and being able to like almost manipulate our minds and we're giving it away for free. Yeah. You're like, the product right on Facebook. Like that's the reason you don't pay for it. Like it's not, you're not Facebook's customer. Facebook's customer is the advertiser. You are the product. You're the commodity that is being sold. Right. Mm. And so that's uh, the thing. That is, yeah. That's wild. That's very eye opening. Yeah. And so I think when we recognize that it opens our eyes to a lot about how these systems work. Mm. I would, uh, I know we're kind of running up on time, but I know you're really into the crypto space and I would love to kind of get your thoughts on, we talked a little bit about decentralization. Like what does that even mean and how does crypto play a role in the future of finance? Yeah. So, you know, I think at its most basic level, you know, how this kind of all started was how do we have sovereignty of money, right? How do we get to a place where we're not reliant on like a bank where there's no middleman who's like taking a fee in the middle and trying to hide like what the real value is. Right. Um, it's also about having money without policy. Right. So, you know, the value of a dollar right now depends on like, who's the president? Are we at war right now? You know, and, and all of these questions. And I think like people just sort of ask the question of like, do we need all that to be built into our money or can we just have like money without all the policy and without all the bullshit? Right. And without caring who the president is and who we're fighting and all these things. And so that's part of where it came from. And so I think it's about just, you know, having more human sovereignty and having more independence where I can transact with you directly peer to peer with no middleman. Right. And what blockchain cryptocurrency is allowed is for me to be able to trust you. Right. You know, previously, like thinking about, you know, PayPal or a bank transfer, like if I'm buying something from you and I've never met you and I don't trust you. It's like, I don't want to send the money until I've got the good, right? And so we kind of have, you know, banks and PayPal and these people playing this intermediary role where they're like, listen, both sides, like, you don't have to trust the other person. You just have to trust me. Like, I'm going to make sure you're taken care of either way, right? So now what we have is this direct peer-to-peer thing where we can trust each other directly. So that's one thing, too, is like getting rid of all the extractive middlemen that are like taking so much of our money from us for the service that now we can kind of do for free. But more globally, you know, what I think this decentralization thing is all about is just moving to a more human centric way of life where all the economic activity that we engage in benefits us instead of like some corporation and, you know, their owners and their few shareholders and things like that. Mm. Um, And so that's part of the direction, you know, I think it's heading is just it's one of freedom. Right. And I think in the U.S., it's a little bit harder for us to understand you know, how important this is because we are very privileged that like we have a banking system that works and we have, you know, a legal system that works. But like, you know, if you're living in a part of the world where you have cash under the mattress, like your house burns down and like you're broke, right? Like wouldn't Mm. it be better if those people could just have their bank account on their cell phone, right? Um, And transact in that way. Um, Or like, you know, we just, there's a lot of things that we sort of take for granted. Like credit is something that we have access to in the US that doesn't exist in a lot of places. You know, one of the projects that we were working on was essentially inventing a credit market in East Africa because there's no land titling there. 
And so how do you borrow against your home if you can't prove that you own it, right? Mm. And so we talked about doing land titling on the blockchain so you could borrow against it. And now you have a credit market that never existed before. Um, you know, we are working on like alternative energy products where instead of having some multinational corporation come in um, and like just own the power plant and when the local people use it, all the money leaves the country. You know, we set up a system where it's owned in a cooperative where you pay, you know, in a token and then a, per, a percentage of that goes back to you, right? So the money is all staying in the community. And so it's really just more than anything else about this incentive alignment of saying, you know, who is creating the value in the system? Okay, those are the same people that need to be taking the value out of the system and receiving as a benefit. So there are just like countless, countless, you know, cases like for blockchain and cryptocurrency. But yeah, if there's anything to take away from it, it's just, you know, being a more sovereign human, and just making sure that the people who are using something are getting the benefits of it. And also, you know, some powerful things like censorship resistance and things like our internet in the U.S. is really free. In a lot of places, it's not. Like one of the projects that we're working on is, you know, everyone in their home essentially has like a little box that is providing internet. And we're creating this sort of mesh network of internet that cannot be shut off by the government, mm. that cannot be censored, that cannot be controlled. And so in places of the world where like people don't have freedom of expression, you know, we're creating it, right? And we're allowing people to make money from supporting it again because we have this blockchain that's tracking all of it and giving them part of the part of the money, right? And so it's like censorship resistance and free speech and freedom of thought and just, you know, all these universal human values. We didn't have a way to mash those with a financial system. And now we do. And that's what this movement's really all about. Oh man, it's really exciting. All the stuff that we can really use this kind of technology to really make some collective shifts and changes, not just in this country, but globally. Where do you think it goes? I mean, one of the things that comes to me is there's so many tokens and it feels, you know, as just like a normal citizen that doesn't really have the brain power to really process what all of this is on like a detailed level. It feels like people can just there's obviously new tokens being created all the time. And like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just an investment thing, right? It's the technology of blockchain to actually solve some of these problems. But as far as like, you know, me getting into, you know, I know Bitcoin and Ethereum, but like all these different coins that are developed, is there like an actual purpose or can anybody just create a coin just to create a coin? Like, how does it work within a system? If you want Joe coin, we can make one together right now, man. And so what would that I would do? Buy some. <laughs> well, like, what would that do? Is it because it, is it, like the inner system of the value of the coin, like how does that improve compared to like fiat currency and all that stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, this is all really complex, right? Mm. And there, and there's a lot in here. And so there's like almost three different questions, right. That are being asked here. So, you know, one of them is like, what's with all these tokens and cryptocurrencies and like, do any of them really have value? Right. And I think, you know, we're in really early days right now. So, you know, in the early 1990s, you know, or like the mid nineties when we had this sort of like internet explosion, right. Um, there were so many companies that were really big that like people today have never even heard of, right. Like they just totally went bankrupt. Like pets.com is like such a famous example of one that blew up like these multi-billion dollar companies that are now at zero. Right. I think we're going to see the exact same thing in crypto space right now. 90%, 95% of what's out there right now will not exist 10 years from now and it'll be at zero. Right. Um, but you know, that's just because we're in the really early days of something we haven't figured out, you know, exactly what it's going to be yet. Right. Like, you know, when I was going to blockbuster video on Friday nights to get a movie, like I had no idea that Netflix was ever even coming and not only were they going to like mail me my movies instead, but now I was going to like stream the whole thing. Like we don't know what the next versions, next version, next version is going to be. Right. And so that's part of it is like the things that are 
the solutions now will not be the solutions years from now. Mm. My real hypothesis of like what's going to happen with blockchain and cryptocurrency in general is that it's going to become so boring and mundane. And like, I'll tell you what I mean by that. So, you know, if like I were to say, Joe, I've got this awesome new businessman, we're going to use drumroll internet technology. You'd be like, fucking duh. Like (laughs) everyone uses the internet now. Like, of course we do. Like we have this instant communication, like across you know, space to other people, like, mm. duh, right? You're not building a business without the internet. Nowadays. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, five years from now, 10 years from now, we'll say the exact same thing about a blockchain. It's like, I'm using blockchain technology. Duh, like, of course you're using a ledger that has no possibility for fraud. Mm. Like, of course you're making sure that people who are benefiting the system or getting the benefits from the system. Like, it just seems so obvious and so true that my hope and my thought is that it just becomes another attribute of everything, just like the internet is now, right? Mm, so don't get um, too lost in all of the tokens, all this stuff. It's really the technology and the impact yeah. that it's going to have. Understand the world that it allows us to create mm. and the value shifts that it allows us to have. And that's what I think, you know, is going to become really interesting with it. And, you know, when people ask me, like, where should I jump into this space and stuff, you know, like, I mean, I'm comfortable saying now, like, I think people should buy Bitcoin. Like, it's probably a good idea to have a little bit, but the better advice is, you know, what are you interested in, in the world, right? Like go find the people that are doing that plus blockchain. Like if you're really interested in, you know, conservation of animals, like look at people who are doing work, um, like with the classic, like kind of safaris in Africa and like the way that they're trying to use cryptocurrencies to like support local conservation and stuff. Right. Mm. If you're into sports, you know, like you are like, look up NBA top shot and non-fungible tokens and like these digital collectible cards. Right. So whatever your interest is, there's a place for you to get into this. Right. Mm. If you're into free speech, you know, look at the projects that are doing like free distributed internet. Right. So there's something for everyone to find here. And I think that's the easiest entry point is whatever your interest is, is the place that you should be starting. Right. Um, and that's sort of the best advice that I can give overall. Now coming back to Joe coin, which I think we definitely need in the world needs Um, you know, you could, you could tokenize yourself right now and say, okay, I'm creating 1 million Joe coins and I'm taking 10% of the income that I make from now through the rest of my life. And I'm giving it away to Joe coin holders. Okay. And so you're essentially tokenizing yourself and you're fundraising now and like raising money by selling these tokens. And then you're going to use that money, filter it through your amazing Jonas and Joe skills to create more opportunity. And then you're giving that right back to the people who supported you and who believed Mm. in you. And so what we have now is we have a million people who are invested in the success of Joe, people who didn't really care about you beforehand and your financial success. Like maybe they think you're a cool dude, like they'll buy some merch from you. Like now they're invested in you, right? They want to see you succeed. And so this is what I think we're going to see happening with individuals, you know, with other companies and things is like you can become a shareholder in the things that you care about. And you will get the benefit of the things that you care about. And that's the beauty of it, man. So I'm, I'm in for Joe coin. I'm going to buy some right now. (laughs) That's beautiful, man. I'm definitely going to have to find a coder to do that. Is it pretty simple to code? I I could, I could make one for you in like 20 minutes. Really? Yeah. Like you'd have to think about it in advance of like, what's the purpose of it? Yeah. What's the token economics? How um, much of my wealth do I want to distribute? Like how much money do I even want to raise from this? Do I know how to use like, a hundred million dollars effectively who are the other people that need to bring in to help right like there's a lot of complexity to it but just like the basics of tokenizing a future revenue stream that's been done i mean Mm. we have done that work with athletes i mean there are athletes in europe right now who have already done this kind of thing you know there are models for it 
So you just have to think about like, what's your spin on it, right? Um, but the tech exists and the tech's not even that hard. Like it's kind of become commoditized lately. Wow. Ted, I could keep talking to you for hours, <laughs> man. I think you have so many questions and you've opened my mind uh, a lot to think about some of these bigger issues. And I really appreciate your time and your intelligence and your you know heart and your ability to your, your your drive to show up and be of service in a big way. So I really appreciate that brother. Thank you, man. I really feel that. And I really appreciate that. And it's truly like just such an honor to be here and, and sharing this with everyone. And, uh, I'm excited for all the questions that we're going to get, uh, about episode two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, dude. I'll we'll definitely do that. Um, where can people find you, reach out to you, um, promote whatever you're working on, Ama healing, um, and all this stuff. Okay. So this is going to be a perfect accountability moment for me because I individually have never done anything with personal brand. Like I'm not someone who's really out there on social media, like as me, Ted, right? There's no I've, Ted coin. There's no Ted coin oh. there. There should be, but, um, I'm on Instagram, uh, Teddy Moskovitz, and I'm committing like right here now to do more sharing of like what is happening in my world. Um, because I, I do want to like give my knowledge to people more. So this is like the first time publicly I've declared it, which scares yeah. the shit out of me. But, like here <laughs> we are, I'm going to share more. Um, and then you can go to amahealing.co. Uh, um, we also have a page, which is joe.elevateelixir.co, which is like your ambassador page. You know, um, with AMA, we've got a discount code, Joe20, that people can use um, as a thank you, you know, for your audience to get 20% off anything. Um, my work with blockchain and crypto stuff, um, you could sign up for our newsletter through Decentranet, which is D-E-C-E-N-T-R-A-N-E-T.com. Um, it's kind of... I'll just say like, it's sort of a dead website because a hundred percent of our business is word of mouth. And like, we don't market or advertise our services. Like people find us. And so I wouldn't say it's that interesting, but we have a newsletter that people can sign up for on there where we do some stuff out. Stay that's informed. Interesting and stay informed. So yeah. Instagram, Teddy Moskovitz, that's the place. Almahealing.co as the website, the Joe page. Those are the spots, man. Yeah. yeah. And all that will be in the show notes for you guys to check out. And Alma Healing has a ton of different products and they're, formulating new products to drop you into flow state. So definitely go check that out. Use the code Joe20 for 20% off and definitely reach out. Let me know what you thought of the episode. If you liked it, review it, rate it, share it with your friends. And we definitely do a round two of this. And if you guys have any questions about crypto or life or entrepreneurship or anything for Ted, shoot it my way and we'll uh, get Ted back on. I uh, really appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you too, man. Much love. All right. What a podcast. Oh my goodness. So grateful for Ted coming on, sharing his wisdom, his knowledge, his vulnerability, opening up about his own story. I know I learned a lot. I know you had to have learned a lot. Um, like we said, I'd love to get him back on for a uh, another episode, maybe a Q&A. So love to hear from you guys. Um, the easiest way to contact me is through my newsletter. It is in the show notes. Uh, so if you don't follow my newsletter, follow it. It's where I put out all my content, all the podcasts to keep up to date with what I'm working on. And you can reply to that newsletter uh, if you'd like him to come on and if you have any questions for him and we will make that happen, uh, whether it's about crypto, hemp, um, anything he talked about on this podcast, psychedelics, waking up, telepathy. Um, yeah, we really talked about a lot of stuff and, you know, I really probably could have talked to him for another couple hours, but we'll save that for round two. And all of the stuff that he shared is in the show notes. Go check it out. Uh, I love you all deeply. And I appreciate more than anything, all of the continued support 
it would go a long way in supporting this podcast if you rate it, leave a review, share it with your friends. Um, really appreciate it. Until next time. Peace.